Someone once said that forgiveness is a great idea until you have someone to forgive. And so it's much like love. Loving others is a great idea until we're pressed into the place of truly loving others. And so as I began to think about that over the last few weeks, I began to think about the particularities of love. In other words, what does it look like to specifically love? And of course, Paul, the passage that Lee read, Paul gives us a great way to get at that, both as faith communities and as individuals. So that's what I've been looking at and I want to look at. So today we'll look at this idea of loving patiently or patient love, which um, may not be as easy as it sounds. A few years ago, a couple years ago actually, um, we picked Aaron and Chad up at Cracker, uh, not Cracker Road, we took them to Cracker Road. We picked them up after Red Eye Flight um, from Charlotte. So after the Red Eye Flight, picked them up in the morning. We headed to a Cracker Road restaurant there, not too far from the airport. So I let them out at the door, let Linda, Aaron, and Chad out at the door and, and parked the car. And as I walked up to the front porch of Cracker Road, both kids came up to me and they said, All right, Dad, very slowly breathe deeply. Relax. It's about a 30-minute wait, but it's going to be okay. <laughs> so my kids get me, and they know me. They were performing a preemptive strike on my impatience. And plus, they were both hungry, and it was raining, and they didn't want to have to get back in the car and go anywhere else. So I thanked them because actually it did help to get my head around the fact that they were going to wait 30 minutes. But then I got to thinking, so what is it about me that my kids had to approach me before I even got there, what am I emitting? What am I showing? And how does this come across to other people? I've always said, by the way, the greatest invention to humankind is the fast pass at Disney. If you don't know about that, talk to me later. But it is the best way to avoid all unnecessary lines. I wish other things in life had the fast pass. That's another story. So we wrote the phrase, patience is a virtue. And so often we don't have the patience to cultivate patience. We want things to happen. We want them to happen now. We want Things done, we want them done now, we want someone to change, and we want them to change now. You get the idea. So we've almost talked ourselves into believing that patience resides only in the person who's not like any other. There's only certain people that exist that can have that kind of patience, who have cultivated some kind of magic, special powers, and you know, we will comment on people like that and say, well, you know, so and so, they have the patience of Job, which is often in the context of suffering or adversity. Which feels like patience only shows up when there's really, really tough stuff going on. But what about patience in the dailyness of life? In reality, patience is very much this disposition that's recognized as a natural outgrowth of the fruit of our spiritual life. In other words, if I'm living a deeply connected life with Christ, if I'm living a life that keeps in step with the Spirit, then the fruit of patience is going to start showing up in my life. So to that point, patience isn't something that the Spirit just cultivates out of nothing. It is the potential, or in other words, we have the potential for patience. It exists within all of us as part of the image of God in which we reflect. The passage that I read out of Psalm 103 speaks to that. Again, a few of those verses. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, very patient, full of faithfulness. God will always play the judge. God will not be angry forever. He does not deal with us according to our sin or repay us according to our wrongdoing because as high as the heaven is above the earth, that's how large God's faithful love is for those who honor him. 
Now I have underlined in my notes here, the Lord is very patient and full of faithful love. I kind of did an opposite thing when I read that passage. So as I hear that, what would the opposite look like? And in some ways, I kind of captured me on a very good day. I'm not always as compassionate and merciful as I need to be. I sometimes play the judge. I can hang on to anger for a long time, mostly by burying it. And sometimes I want folks to get what they deserve. I want them to be dealt with according to their mistakes and their failures. And I really, really don't want to have to feel sorry. In other words, sometimes I'm not very patient. And sometimes I'm not full of faithful love. Now, I don't do all that in one day, don't get me wrong. But I'm saying that sometimes I can be the very opposite. And I think what this song reminds us is that we were created with the capacity to be different. If we are created in the image of God, we were created with the capacity to be compassionate and merciful, very patient, full of faithful love, not always playing the judge, not being angry forever. And not wanting people to be dealt with according to what they have done wrong or how they have failed or the mistakes they have made or whoever they are. We have been created with this capacity to be different. And maybe this is why Paul in his letter to the Corinthians mentions patience as the first quality or mark of love. Maybe Paul recognizes as one of the clearest ways that we can reflect the image of God in our world. Maybe Paul knew that of all, of all the qualities most needed, when people live in community with one another, patience is the most necessary. Just think about our language. I just, I've just lost all patience with that person. I don't have the patience to be with them. And so on and so forth. It's that sort of push-pull of community that really begins to kind of test, at least for me, how well I am loving patiently. Nothing, I think, can be more destructive to community than relationships than impatience with one another. So what are the immediate benefits? I think of patience in this way, patient love, the immediate benefits and the long-term benefits. And by the way, when, when I define patience, when I think of what patience looks like, and I'm just kind of going off here as I feel led because I realized that I put my notes down, I didn't offer that. As I think of patience, I think of that, that ability, that graceful ability to be present and stay put with whatever we need to stay put with, whether it's a person or a process or a relationship. That we are willing to give the space needed in order for that person or those people to be who God has created them to be. And it's not on my time. It's not on our time. It's all on God's time. And loving patiently means I will give you the space and the time to do that because I'm going to have the confidence that God is at work in you. And I'm going to watch and see where God shows up. And what I realize is I lose patience when I want it done on my time. I lose patience when I want it done according to my schedule or according to my expectations. I'm a much more patient person when I'm willing to pay attention to what God is doing and where God is at work and let God do what God needs to do. So what are the immediate benefits of patience? Well, I think it can be expressed in a couple of Proverbs. Proverbs 15, 18 says this, Hotheads stir up conflict, but patient people calm down strife. Now, I could try to spin that a bit and say, what does this really mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. Hotheads stir up conflict, but patient people calm down strife. 
When we exercise patience, conflict gets all stirred up and escalates. Or when we don't exercise patience, conflict gets stirred up and escalates. When we exercise patience, it gives the calmness the opportunity to prevail. Oftentimes, my patience shows up when I choose not to react right away. And I heard Kathy talking about that just a few moments ago. Well, Eddie, you don't have to agree. I'm sure that she knows her own values and values. But giving myself some space and time to think about what I want to say or how I need to respond. And then Proverbs 16.32 says this. Interesting image. Better to be a patient, better to be patient than a warrior, and better to have self-control than to capture a city. So here the writer of Proverbs links patience with self-control. In other words, instead of storming the gates and looking to conquer whoever I want to conquer or defeat, I am better off practicing self-control and being patient. And practicing patience has that way of building into my life, our lives, more self-control. In other words, if patience is given an opportunity to flourish in our life, we end up growing in self-control and it shows up in the lives, our lives, and other areas. So in very practical ways, patience has a payoff right from the get-go. If I can be a patient person, I'm not going to stir things up more than they need to be stirred. And I'm not going to escalate things more than they need to be escalated. I simply can calm down, and maybe other things will calm down if I'm not reactive. And if I can live, live and love patiently, then I'm not going to come charging into conflict. I'm not going to come charging into conversation as if I have something to conquer. conquer. I'm not storming the gates. I'm just really being present and aware of what's going on and seeing where God is at work in the situation and allowing myself to show up and let God do what needs to be done. Now, I think the other immediate benefit of patience is simply this. It's the encouragement to have patience with ourselves. We can't be our own worst enemy and our greatest critic. In fact, our inner critic often has more influence on our life than we're willing to admit. To have patience with ourselves is to afford ourselves the same grace and mercy God affords us. And that's what that passage in Psalm 103 says. God is more patient with us than we are with ourselves. And as we are patient with ourselves, we find that we're able to be patient with others. In other words, if I am willing to forgive myself, if I'm willing to give myself some grace and some mercy, if I'm willing to give myself a break, then maybe, just maybe, if I really encounter that and experience that, I can pass that on to others as well. Those are some short-term benefits of patience, unloving patience. I think there's some long-term benefits. And this is where it takes patience to stick with something when we're taking the long view on change and transformation. And it takes patience in order for us to not damage or short-circuit the work God is doing in the lives of other people. And that's one thing that became very clear to me as I reflected on this. For me, at least. That when I'm not patient, I can do more damage than good. When I'm not patient, I can short-circuit the work that God is doing in other people's lives and in this world. When I'm not patient, I may derail some things. So, for example, it takes patience on my part and our part to hang in there with others when they are struggling, but also making an effort to live well and change their life. That is the greatest kind of patient love we can show. To hang in there when they're struggling, but they're making an effort to live well and change their life. Often, we want others to change on our schedule. We want others to change on our time frame. We want to create others in the image of ourselves rather than come alongside them and help them live into the image of God within them. One of the greatest acts of love we can offer is to be patient with those in our life. 
who are trying to make changes as best as they can and improvements in their life. And I have this, remember this. They were not created in our image. They were created in God's image, and that is what we want to nurture and lift up. I go into trouble when I create other people in my image and say, this is who you have to be. I am more patient through God's grace when I say this person is created in God's image. Now, where do I see God showing up? And where do I see them grow? And how can I nurture that? And how can I add to that? I think often our frustration comes from others not living up to our expectations or the image we have for them in reality. We would, be, we would do better to encourage the progress they continue to show and be in for the long haul. In other words, have patience. And the second thing I would just add is this. It takes patience on my part and our part to hang in there and persevere when we're working for change and transformation in our community and our society. You know, the systems and the issues we want to change, they don't change overnight. They didn't evolve overnight, so they're not gonna change overnight. One of the standard lines I would say to couples when they would come in to see me, and I'm speaking very generally here, it's not a hard and fast rule, because couples would often come to see me at that point where they're really, it was hard work to, to fix it right then. And they wanted to fix it in about an hour in the office. And so I would say, so how long is this one going on? Well, it'll be going on about five, six, seven years. And so they wanted it fixed right then. And often I would say, well, let me tell you this. It's probably going to take as long to get over this as it took you to get into this. Now, that's not a one-to-one -one every time. But my point being, if you've been going at this for 10 years, don't expect to fix this in one month or one visit or maybe one year. It may take you as long to heal it as it took you to damage it. It takes time, and it takes patience, and it takes engagement. So the systems and issues we want to change didn't evolve overnight, so we often won't get rid of them overnight. So working for justice, we're going to make things right. It's not for the faint of heart, it's not for the quickaholic, those who want things done quickly. Often there is this uprooting that has to take place, and there is this replanting before we will see any fruit. And we want to see change right away. And when we don't, we either give up too soon or we burn out. Or we become cynical and we feel as if nothing will ever, ever change. And I say that as a person who has probably experienced burnout on more than one occasion in his life. Of someone who wanted to see change in life, in society, in churches, in organizations, and in systems. And I would have an idea, and I would have a vision, and I would have a thought, and say, this is it, let's do this, and jump right into it. And after about a month or two, when no one else seemed to be involved, or no one else seemed to want to change, or things just didn't seem to change, I would either get frustrated, angry, cynical, or I would burn out and just keep going and going and going. Patience has a way of bringing health to our souls. Because it reminds us that we have a part to play. But it also reminds us that God has a part to play as well. And if I do what I need to do, I trust that God will do what God needs to do. I want to close with this to that point. As Quakers, one of the people that we may have heard of was John Owen. John Owen was a well-known Quaker abolitionist who, through his ministry influence, made it illegal for Quakers to buy, sell, and keep slaves. But it didn't happen overnight. Woman, woman traveled among friends beginning in 1746. I want you to hear the math on this. He started traveling among friends in 1746. 
And there he witnessed and observed slavery among the Quakers as well as many others. So he eventually wrote an essay that was entitled, Some Consideration on the Keeping of Negroes. And in 1754, Philadelphia Yearly Meeting approved its publication. And then in 1754, Philadelphia Yearly Meeting published their own anti-slavery paper entitled, Epistle of Caution and Advice, in which they also advised against the buying and keeping of slaves. 1755, Philadelphia Yearly Meeting ordered that members who imported slaves or purchased them locally should be admonished Woman again traveled to Virginia, Maryland, North Carolina. By this time, to visit the families of slaveholding Quakerism, by 1758, there was a ban on buying and selling slaves, and the Philadelphia Yearly Meeting required members who bought slaves to be removed from positions of authority. More dates. As early as 1762, women and others refused to purchase goods produced by slave labor. Was it later until 1826? which uh, was called the Free, uh, the Free Produce at Caron, as movement, which people would not buy anything produced, manufactured, or anything that had anything to do with slavery. John Woman died in 1772. By 1776, it was prohibited among friends or Quakers to keep, buy, or sell slaves. Now, I say you do the math on this. If you start when he took his first trip, or more or less, 1746, and then you go to 1776, it was 30 years. It did not happen overnight for John. It didn't happen in one month or one year. I never knew him personally. I have not read on his personal history. But my guess is this. John Woolman suffered. He agonized. He stood up for what he believed in his convictions. Oftentimes when he would go visit families who had slaves in Surrey, he would either pay the slaves what he felt like they should be owed, or he would get up from the table and leave. Often there were families of Quakers who had slaves or had goods that were purchased or that were made by slaves, and he would choose not to eat, or he would choose to go on to another home, or just simply leave the premises. But each time he would raise the question with people, do you think this is good? Do you think this is right? Do you think this is of God? And each time he would just keep leaning into it with tenderness, with love, and with patience. And in about 30 years, a whole year meeting basically said, number one, if you're a Quaker, you will not buy, sell, or keep slaves. And number two, if you do, you will be removed from a leadership position. And of course, John Mullen never lived to see that. I say that to say, loving patiently takes many forms. Loving patiently takes the form of being patient with yourself. Loving patiently takes the form of loving others in such a way that we're willing to let God work in them and we're there to be with them regardless of how long it takes. And loving patiently also means that sometimes we may be on the edge, we may be in the thick of working for justice, we may be in the thick of working to make things right, and that takes patience too. It takes perseverance. But it takes a deep love that says, if I do my part, if I do my part, God will faithfully do God's part in the course of history. I'll close with this uh, quote. Henry Nowen offers this, these words on patience. The word patience means the willingness to stay where we are and live the situation out to the fullest in the belief that something hidden there will manifest itself. 
Impatient people are always expecting the real thing to happen somewhere else and therefore want to go elsewhere. Patient living means living actively in the present and waiting. If I'm patient and I'm loving patiently, I'm present right where I am. I'm not somewhere else. I'm right here. So my encouragement for me and my prayer for each one of us is how can we love patiently? How can we be more patient with ourselves? Who in your life needs to receive your patience for them? Because they're trying. They're trying their best. And they're struggling, but they need your patient love. And how can you and I maybe practice patient love with whatever we're trying to make right in life? Knowing that as we do our part. 